0: Amen. If you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn with me to Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. This morning we'll be studying verse 8 as we continue on now to the sixth of these pithy statements or beatitudes or blessings of Jesus. And I wonder if you've been with us in our study or as you know the beatitudes, I wonder if you have a favorite. It wouldn't be surprising. Uh, Maybe uh, the poor in spirit receiving the kingdom is your favorite. Or or those who mourn our promised comfort. Or uh, that wonderful irony, the meek, not the bully, not the strong, not the self-assertive. The meek shall inherit the earth. Uh, Maybe you have a favorite. I wonder also if you have one that troubles you the most. Uh, it may be different ones for different people. Today's beatitude at verse eight: "Blessed are the pure in heart, for theirs, or for uh, they shall see God." Uh, has long made me nervous and wistful. Uh, it's often troubled my assurance of salvation. I, I, just for a moment, appreciate the difficulty of. Of percolating a sermon on "Blessed are the pure in heart" while you're watching your kids play in a state basketball tournament, and you want every foul to go against the opposition, you want every foul that went against the home team, right, to be reversed on appeal, as if that ever happens. Uh, and 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 the the uh, atrocious things you think are being done by referees. You're plotting the sermon you want to say to them after the game. I mean, you want to walk up to them and say, it must be hard to be a referee because it is so frequently poorly done, right? And, I mean, literally, right? That's, and then you're watching and, and an opposing coach cheering for the other team, standing four feet from you. You can hear him just fine. But in the closing moments of the game, steps right up to your ear to shout yes at a penalty against your team. You want to punch him in the face. I mean, I did all those things just in the span of about 30 minutes last night. And um, that barely scratches the surface of why this one has so frequently troubled me wondering what does it mean what is jesus getting at i mean on the one hand is there a higher hope than seeing god that's awesome maybe this is your favorite for that but is there a more unsettling proposition that only the pure in heart shall see god and that is what he's saying is there any hope for us who have impure hearts what is that hope what is jesus teaching That's what I want you to think about today. Now, to pick up the passage in context, we'll we'll be studying verse 8. Let's let's pick up at verse 2 where Jesus, it says, opened his mouth and taught them. So let me invite you to give your attention to the reading of God's word. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Our Father in heaven, we bow before you, you the Father of mercies, and we pray that you would, in kindness to us, give us your spirit and the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. That the eyes of our hearts might be enlightened, and that we might know the hope to which you have called us. So be our teacher, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What blessing is Jesus promising to his disciples? What do we need to receive that blessing and where can we get it? Those are the three big questions for today. Jesus here speaks to the heart. Now, I have a uh an acquaintance, uh, a woman 31 years old, she's the daughter of a PCA minister. Uh, She uh, was moving to Dallas, Texas, and during the move, she needed some mundane medication. Since uh, she hadn't found a doctor yet in her move, she called her brother who was a physician and asked him to call in a prescription for her, and her brother reluctantly agreed but insisted, you need to find a physician. A few months later, she called him and asked for the same favor, and he reluctantly agreed then a year later she called him again I still haven't found a doctor will you call in this prescription for me he responded no absolutely not you're going to grow up and go see a doctor so that summer she says I grew up and I went to a real doctor for the first time in 10 years And since she was a new patient, she says, they scheduled her for a routine physical exam. And the doctor and her are chatting as the doctor sticks the stethoscope on her chest to listen to her heart. And the doctor gets quiet and then stops in mid-sentence and says, tell me about your heart. What do you mean? The doctor goes on to tell her about the rhythm and she needs to see a cardiologist right away. What are you talking about, she says. I'm 31 years old and in great health. The doctor replies, I'm not sure what's going on, but it's not good, and so I'll send you to somebody who can help you. The same day, she goes to a cardiologist, and when the tech hooks her up to the EKG, they two are chatting away until the tech says, what's wrong with your heart? The doctor's going to want to see you right away. The doctor comes in and makes her walk on a treadmill, gives her a sleep monitor, takes an ultrasound of the heart. Come to find out her heart rate uh, while sleeping at night is 150 beats a minute. The rhythm is entirely off. The doc says, uh, look, you can be on medicine for the rest of your life or you can have a medical surgical procedure to correct this. And she says, this can't be happening. I went to the doctor this morning to get Claritin and the doc says you don't understand you're in a dangerous place with your heart and she says otherwise I'm healthy right and the physician says there is no health apart from your heart Now she ended up having surgery and she's fine There is no health apart from your heart. I spared our dear brother the recitation of his own experience. He knows it. Surely you know this. The same is true spiritually. There is no health spiritually apart from the condition of your heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, Jesus says. And he's describing his disciples. For they shall see God. So the condition of your heart is immensely important. I mean, remember uh, when when God was helping Israel find a king? And he went through all these guys that were... They looked great on the outside and they were tall and they were strong, but none of them fit the bill. And, and, and God went on to say, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart, right? Proverbs 21, verse 2, every man... Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. The heart is fundamental. The heart is basic, as others have put it. The heart of the matter is it is the heart that matters. So, Jesus addresses our hearts. First question, what is the blessing here? I want to start on the back end of the phrase. What is the blessing? The blessing is that the pure in heart shall see God. Now for 2,000 or nearly 2,000 years, Christian theologians have called this the beatific vision. Beatific sounds like beatitude. It's the same word from the word blessing. The blessed vision. It's the longing expectation of the people of God, says Christian theologians, for the last 2,000 years to see God. The promise of beholding the glory of God face to face. This is what we want. This is what the people of God have always wanted. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple, says the psalmist. And notice that as these beatitudes build, there is, I would argue, no higher blessing being offered to us. Each blessing is amazing in its own way, but I think none is higher. I mean, consider them. The poor in spirit receive the kingdom. Beggars are given the riches of God's kingdom. That's astounding. Those who mourn their sins are comforted by God, certainly with pardon for sin, but also the promise of eternal life free of all evil, right? I mean, this is a wonderful gift. The meek inherit the earth. we're we're co-heirs with christ we said jesus is the heir of all things and you are in union with jesus and he shares everything he has with you you inherit the new heavens and the new earth that's astounding you have a great place to live those who hunger and thirst for righteousness says it says they will be satisfied you want righteousness christ is our righteousness God gives to you the righteousness of Christ. You're right with God in Jesus, and God has determined to make you right or righteous like Jesus is righteous. That too is incredible. And the merciful, it says, are mercied. Mercied by God, right? Mercy finds us. Then mercy changes our heart and makes us a merciful person and we fall into the arms of mercy at the end. I mean, just pile them up. You get the kingdom. You get comfort. You get the earth. You get righteousness. You get mercy. You enjoy them all. But the gospel also gets you God, not just his blessings. It is both. The gospel gets you himself and he is the highest gift. And Jesus promises you will see him. Meaning you will be welcomed into his presence face to face. And this is what we were made for. I mean this is what Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden. When they could walk with God in the garden in the cool of the day. Until they rebelled and God banished them from the face of the Lord. And this is... What redemption restores to us, First John 3, we read it in the service, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are, and beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him, why, because we shall see him. As he is, you will see Jesus, and that is promised in the consummation of all things, where the Bible began in the garden, face to face with God. It ends in the new heavens and the new earth. Revelation 21 Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Have you seen these reunion videos that end up on social media? The the heartwarming ones, the the tear-jerking moments of surprise and relief where you've got some eight-year-old or so uh, son or daughter of a soldier who's been deployed for a couple of years. And the best they've had is phone calls, maybe letters, maybe Skype, but dad at a distance and then suddenly there's a surprise reveal and the kid has eyes for nobody else right i mean joy leaps to the heart tears flood the eyes and he rushes to dad leaps into his arms buries his face in his father's shoulder sobbing great sobs of joy and release and then they hold each other's faces and they look at one another and they say i love you And I promise you, what Jesus is saying is I offer you that and better. This is what you're made for. To be in God's arms, welcomed, beholding His face, enjoying Him forever. Now, if you don't believe the gospel is true, wouldn't you at least hope that it would be true if that's the case? Well, it is true. And you do not have to wait for heaven until you begin to get the appetizer of this, the foretaste of this, you actually can begin now to see God with the eyes of faith. Faith. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus is saying, You have seen me, you have seen God, God in the flesh. The Apostle Paul puts it this way uh, this is a gift of God to those who God is generous to with his grace. 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 4, for God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, God spoke the universe into existence, let light shine out of darkness, he has shown in our hearts to give the light. Of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Have you begun with the eyes of faith to see him, know him, enjoy him? Yet now we must admit we see as through a glass darkly. One day face to face. Salvation then is not simply a ticket to heaven. Not just the benefits of belonging to Jesus, but it is intimacy, in friendship, and in love with your loving Father. And you are promised you will see God. Now, who may see God? Who? That's our second question. What kind of person can see God? Blessed, Jesus says, are the pure in heart. For they, and the implication all along is they and they only, shall see God. Now Jesus here speaks of the heart and he speaks of purity. What's he talking about? Well, the heart, what's the heart? Well, let me ask you, what holiday symbolized, is symbolized by the heart? What American holiday anyway? I mean, We, we just had it, right? Valentine's Day, hearts, right? What do you think of? You think of the heart, and you think of I give you my heart. And, and by give you my heart, you think uh, I've, got, I've got sound, strong affections for you. Right? I've got romantic attraction. Or maybe, you know, um, some of my favorite Valentine's was you know when I was a kid. And we just gave them to friends. But look, you're my buddy. I like you. I have good feelings towards you. Right? Emotions. That's, we think the heart is that. The heart in the Bible is not that. I mean, it's more than that. The heart actually in the Bible is not just kind of the seat of your emotions or desires or affections. It's actually also the seat of your thinking or your reasoning, your decision-making and your choice-making. It's all of that. It's, it's the totality of your person. It's the core of who you are, which is more than feelings. And Jesus says, at the heart, right... The fountain out of which everything else proceeds. Blessed are the pure in heart. In other words, not just people who are pure on the surface of things, but people who are pure at the center of their being. What does Jesus mean by pure? Well, the idea, the word itself uh, moves in two directions. They're really related and overlapping on the one hand. A moral purity, this is, the, this is the word for not being defiled or not being polluted, but being clean. Not immoral, not unclean, but clean, pure, morally good. But the other meaning is without hypocrisy or without mixture, an undivided heart, one that isn't uh, blended together with other stuff. But if we say that a basketball player picks your pocket clean... It means he tapped the ball away cleanly, unmixed with a foul, right? Otherwise, he mixed the good with the bad. Well, the pure in heart is the, the morally clean and unpolluted heart that also isn't divided or hypocritical in its allegiance, it's not mixed in its allegiance. You see why you can't have one without the other. they are two overlapping ideas. You are not, in other words, masking a corrupt inside by looking good on the outside. And I tried really hard to look good on the outside today. Every Sunday I do. I mean, you, you may wish I was wearing a suit and tie, but, you know, this is much better than what's really showing And what's on the inside, if you could see it, would probably, you would hold your nose, you would walk out and never come back if you knew what the state of my heart is at certain hours of the day at least. I mean, this is, after all, what Jesus condemned in the Pharisees with the strongest of language. I mean, the religious leaders of his day who wore the white hat, who people thought they hung the moon, that these were the stand-up people, right? They've got it together religiously. And morally, Jesus said to them in Matthew chapter 23, beginning at verse 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you. Scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You see what Jesus is saying? They were rotten to the core, but they sure seemed like nice people. And that's, of course, how they wanted it. Jesus says they won't see God. Not like that. Without a pure heart, you will never see God, know God, or enjoy God. I mean, we read it in Psalm 24 for the confession. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, the psalmist asked. And who shall stand in his holy place. Answer, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Without purity of heart, says the psalmist, no one can stand before God. So what then is our problem? We don't have pure hearts. Not naturally, not any of us. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 9 answers Psalm 24. Proverbs 20 verse 9 asks, Who can say, I have made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. (laughs) Nobody can say that. The answer is obvious. No one is clean naturally or can make themselves clean. Just the opposite is true. Remember what Jesus said, not, not about the Pharisees, but about everybody. Mark chapter 7, verse 21. For from within, out of the heart of man, come what? Evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. They're already there. Your circumstances don't make those things happen to you. Your parents didn't cause these things to be true of you. They're in the heart. They're not add-ons to an otherwise good person. We are at the core twisted. We're not what we ought to be. And you don't believe that about yourself? And I'll tell you why. Because of your heart. Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You don't think your problem is your bad heart precisely because you have a deceitful bad heart. Which is lying to you about how good you are. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 3, the hearts of the children of men are full of evil. And madness is in their hearts while they live. Isaiah 1 verses 5 and 6. The whole head is sick. The whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head. There's no soundness in it. But bruises and sores and raw wounds. This is the problem. This is the problem of every heart. It's the problem of every marriage. It's the problem of every sibling relationship, every family trouble. It's the problem of every church. It's the problem of every school. It is the problem of every nation. It is the problem of the individual human heart. We are defiled in heart. And that, of course, is why we don't want anyone else to know everything that we're thinking on any given occasion. Why we don't share our daydreams with other people or We don't tell people what our true heart desires are in the secret dark places of our twisted imaginations. You want people to think well of you. I get it. And you want God to think well of you. But you know the truth about you. And so, where can you get a pure heart? How can we have a pure heart if only the pure in heart see God? Well, I'll tell you, it is a work of God's grace. It is not something you can give yourself. Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 23. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard change his spots? Then also you can do good who are accustomed to do evil. You can't change yourself. Romans chapter 8, verse 7, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It's not just that you don't submit to God's law of moral perfection. It's that you in your flesh, in your nature, cannot submit to God's law. You cannot change yourself. So where do you get this purity of heart? Well, the Old Testament answer to that question (laughs) so troubled as they were by psalm 24 who can ascend the hill of the lord and stand in his presence was their answer was to employ a substitute somebody to do the job for them it, we bought a house it's a wonderful house but every house has its issues ours had uh, old kind of plumbing that they thought would work great. Turns out it's the kind that doesn't work great. And it got pinprick holes nine or ten times. And leaked everywhere. And we had to have all the running water lines swapped out. I didn't dare touch that job myself. I hired a plumber. I hired a substitute to do for me what I could not do for myself. And that illustration is an analogy to what the high priest in Israel did. He was a specialist. He was a professional substitute. I mean, the people knew that they couldn't approach God. I mean, after all, they learned that lesson at at Mount Sinai when God spoke to them with fire and thunder. And they they heard the Ten Commandments. They all stepped back away from the mountain and they said, what? Moses, you go on up, (laughs) right? That's what they did. Now, God appointed Moses to be the mediator between them. Well, the high priest is the mediator in the Old Testament between God and people. And he was a specialist, a professional substitute. It was his job to keep himself pure on behalf of the people so that he could stand in God's presence in their place. So there was a huge ritual involved in just making sure that he was pure and acceptable. So that when he entered the most holy place one time a year on behalf of the whole nation, he could stand and not get cut down. On the night before the, that most important festival, the Day of Atonement, we're told in the history books he would stay awake all night so that he wouldn't accidentally have a bad sinful dream and become impure. And they kept a backup priest ready to take his place in case something happened and he couldn't go in, right? Nothing was left to chance. The problem was obvious, though. With enough effort, you could keep yourself clean on the outside, but not even the high priest could make himself clean on the inside. And so this picture of a professional substitute, of course, pointed forward to Our great high priest Jesus, who the writer of Hebrews says is holy, blameless, pure, set apart for sinners and exalted above the heavens. And he is the perfect substitute for those who cannot ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in the presence of God because he can. And he stands in the presence of his father, always interceding for us. Always mediating. And so it is by Him and in Him and through Him that the impure can appear before the pure and holy God. We can come to God through Him. Now that's the first thing you need to know. But it's not all of it. We saw in the previous beatitude, God doesn't simply leave us in the state He finds us. There's a double grace in the gospel. I mean, remember in uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied there was a double grace the double grace was God counts you perfectly righteous in Christ but also God is determined to make you what he has accounted you to be it's a double grace one is perfect and whole and complete and final and forever you're righteous in Jesus the other is progressive and when you get to heaven it is finalized consummated So also here with purity, besides a substitute whose purity is complete and effective so that simply by trusting in Jesus as impure people, you can appear in the presence of God. God also in his grace creates in us a desire for purity of heart and he answers that desire. Ezekiel chapter 36, the promise of the gospel in the Old Testament, verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. In Jesus, God gives what he promised. He cleans us. He gives us a new heart. It's otherwise called regeneration or or being born from above. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That, That heart of stone was the old cold heart Dead heart, impure heart, resistant to God. And the new heart is alive and sensitive to God. It has new desires. It has has new ambitions. It wants to serve and obey God. This begins when you pass over from death to life, when God makes you alive in Jesus. So you were born into this world with a bad, impure heart, and you are born from above with a new and pure heart heart from God made fit for his kingdom Jesus said to his disciples in John 15 verse 3 already you are already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you he had made them clean and so likewise for the whole church Ephesians 5 Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word And so you say, okay, so I have a new heart. It's a pure heart. Why am I still struggling with impurity? Because though you have a new heart, you have not yet been made perfect. Though you have a new nature, you have not yet been perfected. And there is a war and sin remains and it is fighting a guerrilla war against you. And so the psalmist, David cries out, And look, he had just been caught in adultery with Bathsheba. He had just been convicted of conspiring in the murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah the Hittite, who also happened to be one of his closest friends. You ask the question, is he beyond the pale? Is he lost forever? No. He prays, as we did in the service, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And God did, and God can make us clean too. I mean, don't you find yourself stumbling again and again, falling before temptation, so that the evil you do not want to do, or the evil you do not want to think, the evil you do not want to desire or speak, this you keep on doing? And yet, in the gospel, we are promised if we confess our sins. God is faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that when we are defiled, when we find ourselves defiled, there is no need to run for the hills. There's no need to shrink back. You don't need to cover yourself with a fig leaf and hide from God among the trees. And I hope that you don't feel like a redeemer. You have to pretend to be something you're not. But you have in the gospel the freedom to stop wearing a mask. To not play a role for every different occasion. To stop pretending. To stop hiding. The only qualification necessary to get a pure heart is to take to God your impure heart. You think you're too dirty to be cleansed? What about David? Or to close, what about John Newton? I talk about him a lot. He wrote Amazing Grace, right? He was a pastor later in life. But you know that he was a dirty man with a filthy heart. And he had made himself foul. When he was little, he had a godly mother who taught him the Westminster Shorter Catechism and all the scripture proofs. And we're led to believe by the age of six he could recite all 107 questions and all their proofs. But then she died... Being raised by a father who was the captain of a sailing ship at the age of 11, he went out with his father on that ship and he learned to talk like a sailor. And it got so bad, he says other sailors were shocked by his impiety. He rose to become a captain of a slave ship in which he led a wicked life by his own account, very promiscuous as well as blasphemous and notorious he he once said he had no idea how many babies he had fathered through the slave women during that period how could a man like that ever be clean here's his story in his own words in the words of a hymn he wrote in evil long I took delight unawed by shame or fear Until a new object struck my sight and stopped my wild career. I saw one hanging on a tree in agony and blood. Who fixed his languid eyes on me as near his cross I stood. Sure, never to my latest breath can I forget that look. It seemed to charge me with his death, though not a word he spoke. My conscience felt... And owned the guilt and plunged me in despair. I saw my sins, his blood had spilt and helped to nail him there. Alas, I knew not what I did, but now my tears are vain. Where shall my trembling soul be hid? For I the Lord have slain. A second look he gave, which said, I freely all forgive. This blood is for thy ransom paid. I die that thou may live. Thus, says Newton, while his death, my sin displays in all its darkest hue, such is the mystery of grace, it seals my pardon to you. With pleasing grief and mournful joy, my spirit now is filled. That I should such a life destroy. Yet live. By him I killed. Has the sight. Of Jesus. Stopped your wild career. And changed your heart. Isn't it great. That the pure in heart get to see God. And the way to have a pure heart. Is to look away from yourself and see the son of God upon a cross dying for your impurity. Says Luther when I look at myself I don't see how I can be saved. When I look at Christ I don't see how I can be lost. Blessed indeed then are the pure in heart for you shall see God. The Lord make it so for all of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of your son. Give us eyes to see him. So give us new hearts. Have mercy on our souls. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing.